0: Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world and... Welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham. And of course, I'm here with my friend and colleague, like normal, Nitin Gower. Hey Nitin, how are you?
1: Hey, Derek. Glad to be here. Looking forward to today's conversation. Well,
0: this conversation is just perfectly timed because, you know, at a time when we're seeing Bitcoin go over $30,000, Ethereum with, of course, its, its, its new Shanghai upgrade sitting at more than $2,100. The Birth of young tokens that you can see in coinmarketcap, by example, .com, you know, at the rate of an hour, one every hour is a new token coming out of the place. You know, Apple's turning around and saying, we're going to start our own bank and we're giving you 4.5% interest rate. That's right. You know, this, this is a change, a rapidly changing landscape. And then, of course, you've got our friend Gary Gensler, who's using an 89-year-old act trying to work out how to manage money in an old-school way. But it's a matter of perception and it's a matter of how you, how you couch that. And it's, I think it's a matter of reconsidering what really money and wealth is this day. And Nitin, you've got this fantastic guest along today. So please introduce Jennifer to us.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm actually looking forward to to today's conversation. It's a very interesting story how I met Jennifer at World Atomic Forum. We were standing in line. And so she today is a special guest for many reasons, and I will describe that. She also has a very interesting story. She's a lawyer. She embarked on a career in private wealth management. So that's quite a lethal combination finance and law. And she immersed herself into this interesting world of finance. She worked in some of the top firms, private wealth management with JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Fidelity, I believe. She earned a JD from Suffolk University in Boston. And again, a rich career in both finance and law. And so she's a perfect person to opine on things that are as they transpire. So, you know, Jennifer, thank you so much for exchanging your perspective with us and spending time with us. And I can't believe that this super interesting conversation we had while waiting in line for a Wall Street Journal event at World Economic Forum, when you briefly mentioned talking about your book and... It's funny, I never even asked what you're writing about. I quickly opined that, hey, there's no money in writing books, but there's a lot of satisfaction because you get to solidify your ideas and put a name on it, which is exactly what you did. So welcome to our to our you know podcast and looking forward to this amazing conversation with you.
2: Yeah. Likewise, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm incredibly excited for the next thirty minutes or so, and and it's it's fascinating to see where life takes you, right? At one moment you're in True. Davos waiting in line, and in the next moment, you know, the three of us are here together. You know, different parts of the world just kind of getting together and sharing ideas. It's it's fascinating, and it's an honor. So good yeah.
1: stuff. And and tell us. So starting with, you know, I've all, we've always asked our guests what. You know, how they stumbled upon this revolution, Bitcoin, blockchain, DLT, and the entire you know, revolution that we're going through. Tell us your story. Tell us how you got to get to where you are having spent enough time in financial services. And tell us more about this masterpiece that you've been working for quite some time and you finally published it. Give us the story. How did you get there?
2: The story of the story. So essentially, you know, I always envy the people who have this like silver bullet answer to like, I found Bitcoin when dot, 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 right? But Mm. for me, it was sort of like this, this popcorning. I've heard of it here and there. I mean, of course, sitting squarely in a seat as an advisor within wealth management, it was inherently part of conversation. It would come up with clients and it kind of sprinkled around, you know, the, the investment arena. That said, I'd say it was probably... It wasn't so recent relative to to others, but I'd say probably 2000 and, oh gosh, I'd say five, six years ago that Bitcoin kind of captured me, right? And so it was sort of in the background this whole time, but of course- As everyone says, you kind of hook into it, you go down the proverbial rabbit hole, and it started to unlock all these questions in my mind as it relates to, like, what is money? What is value? How is the financial system structured, right? What is the potential for this on a go-forward basis? And so... It was kind of self-discovery at that point in time. And I was, you know, most recently at Fidelity private wealth management and Fidelity is a relatively conservative shop, right? But they have a great digital assets group. And so over time started to understand and, and have insight into what they were working on. So like most things in life, you know, my curiosity led me to explore more deeply this arena of Bitcoin and then cryptocurrency more broadly. And of course, blockchain um, that that's underneath all of this. And so it started to just percolate all these types of questions in my mind. And fast forward to the book, you know, as you mentioned in the introduction, so during law school, I fell in love with the written word, right? The written word is utterly powerful. When you consider that and or or can drastically change the interpretation of something. And so it was through that process, through that education, that I started to really appreciate the precision that words it enable, right? And then also what that enables in client conversations and how we communicate and how we, you know, ping pong ideas back and forth and help to crystallize concept and help to form narrative, right? With Within society and through our relationships and thing like, things like this and how it's utterly important, particularly as it relates to the crypto world, right? There's so many conversations going on in podcasts like you all here and I'm sure in your, your primary day jobs as well. And these are really, really important to help progress something along. So I'll, I'll pause right there. But I think it's it's the interplay between the power of words. You know, my my love of the written word in law school, coupled with my time in the financial seat, and then just hearing about Bitcoin and becoming even more curious about what this is.
0: It's beautiful. I mean, you sort wow. of you've created awesome. a shrine which your book is on, <laughs> and and that's just perfect for 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 putting this into crystallization. In other words. This is really important, and I've really considered it. What's interesting, you know, you look at your career, Jennifer, and you've been in Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and Fidelity. Now, I don't want to give them a hard time, but <laughs> I have met a number of people in these organisations, and those that are thinking broadly and and creatively around, you know, the future of money are not in the majority. They're normally in the minority. They have a set of rules, a set of products. They have the, the modern portfolio theory, which I love that. I think it's 1954, the modern portfolio theory was created. And they have this and they work to it well. But you've gone through that and you've recreated what you think the sort of what invisible, maybe intangible aspects of money, and they make absolute sense. Maybe share some of that with us so we can get a perspective of the foundation of what you've created with your book.
2: Sure. And so, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, these large institutions and that's just the nature of the beast, right? They're they're big entities Mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of time for them to kind of shift trajectories. And I think you and I talked about this a little bit in line for the Wall Street Journal event. But so that's why I left. Right. I I kind of threw my cards up in the air last April and I said, okay, I'm going to fully dedicate myself to exploring that. Well-established axioms and maxims of wealth, and dig right in, roll the sleeves up, like let's do this. And so I did a ton of research, a ton of writing, a ton of editing, <clears throat> which ultimately resulted in this concept and framework of invisible wealth. And so, Derek, you you hit it on the head. I mean, invisible is another word for intangible. I, I personally think invisible just sounds a little bit better than intangible wealth, right? So <laughs> you know you're the author. You
0: know I'm not going to argue.
2: <laughs> Went with invisible, but but you're right. So it's like we're shifting into this new paradigm where technological advancements are are underway, as well as mm. societal shifts. Right. Mm. So you have these tectonic plates in motion, and it's inviting us to think about what we value and why. And so when you evaluate what you value, you inherently revisit wealth because you're wealthy when you have an abundance of what you value. So, for example. I'm sure many listeners know and, and we're all familiar with the idea that back in the day, shells were used as money, right? That's right. We valued shells as a medium of exchange. It was, you know, store of value, a unit of account and a medium of exchange. That's not the case anymore. We don't need these little little guys that we put in our pockets and kind of like toss around to one another. In fact, now we're we're traversing from electronics, even like digital money, right? And so I think that that, idea maps onto so many different arenas of our life and and the things that we value, and that can be very kind of abstract things such as, you know, relationships and relationship capital and how, you know, we're connecting now in relevancy over proximity, you know, case in point, us all being here today. Mm. And so that's a byproduct of technological innovation and societal shifts. So again, everything that we're valuing in many facets of our life, whether it's from you know the, the financial perspective and/or you know a more philosophical mm-hmm. perspective, they're all being reconsidered right now. And so within the book, I detail five principles of invisible wealth, and I'll run through them briefly just so you have some context of what they are. But the first is you know a wealth of money and investment, which is what you you two focus on, I think primarily, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Wealth of health wealth of knowledge status influence wealth of time energy and experiences and the last is ener- a wealth of relationship with self and others and so this kind of lays the infrastructure to think through how we're thinking about wealth in a more expanded m- multi-dimensional way and then of course what folds into that is you know the advent of, of digital assets
1: yeah, what's interesting is when I, when you announced your book, I know you're writing the book. I, you never disclosed the title to me when we met. And when I saw this on LinkedIn on Invisible Wealth, the first thing that it hit me was, okay, because you can't touch and feel Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, it's tied to that wealth. And then I dug a bit more into what are you thinking? And I looked at the five principles. Uh, and so to me, as I'm reading more about, and I've actually pre-ordered the book, so, so sooner or later, uh, Jennifer, I'm going to read the whole thing. The the narrative of Invisible Wealth combines the narrative of Web3, which is creator-led economy, which is, again, the money, health, knowledge, time, and relationships, the five sort of vectors of, of your book that you talk about. A lot of creator-led economy is about that. It's about using your time wisely, using your knowledge to the right content, and making money from it. And generally, when you have a better state of mind, you're healthy, and you build relationships with various people in that community. As I'm friends. Posing this knowledge to what I think it is right, and which permeates through this digitally enabled communities, devoid of traditional border and border state constructs. So as I'm deciphering the whole thing, is is that what you meant in the sense that you, your treat the relationship is it about relationship with of of us with our wealth and money, or is it about trying to rediscover ourselves in terms of what we view wealth and what we value, and trying to divide our time and our resources which is our our time and our 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 mindset to these five vectors what is your thinking when you were writing the book
2: yeah it's it's a little bit of all of that <laughs> and so when you say use the creator economy as an example you're spot yeah. on i do talk about the creator economy in the book and it's a prime example of how how we're making money is is changing, right? So how we're making money, how we're spending money, how we're investing money are all changing those three. And so how we're making money is, is becoming, you know, digital, decentralized, and fractionalized, just the same as, you know, how we're investing money is digital, decentralized, fractionalized, in, in a sense, right? Think of it, for example, creator economy, uh, is enabled by these technological advancements. It stands on the shoulders of these platforms and people are able to share knowledge, which you know hopefully we're doing here and someone benefits some way somehow. And you know, I think this is supportive and indicative of the autodidactic, you know, the eco- landscape that we're in right now, whereas people are wanting to learn on their own and they want yeah. to learn what they want on their terms and and then to wield that for perhaps economic, potential right and so it's fascinating the creator economy this year is is hitting north of 100 billion dollars right that's that's not peanuts that's meaningful and people are kind of voting with their time as it relates to how they're making money and i think that's utterly fascinating right and so you know, creator economy is one example of how the future of work is changing. And of course, the future of work supports the future of wealth, because of course you have to make money and then you have to invest money to then become wealthy in financial terms. So, but it also unlocks the ability to become wealthy as it relates to your time, as it Mm. relates to where you're deploying other assets, other resources within your life. So,
0: This is very powerful. You know, just yesterday, I accepted a call which really wasn't a relevant investment pitch to me. I just found it really interesting because you get so many investment pitches being involved with fund management, of course. And this one was a group called Omni, and they're based in Bali, and they're building a $3.5 million longevity and health wellness centre. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. But they're talking about longevity, and I'm intrigued with longevity because I think that falls into your sort of health section of, of, of wealth. And so I said, I'll take the call. And I chatted to the fellow and I said, you know, how do you charge X number of dollars a month, about $300 a month for people that come and go? And he goes, you know, as in holiday makers. And he goes, no, Derek. He said, all these people are expats in Bali. They live here. They're permanent here. You know, they're developing mostly around the world, software world and intellectual property world. And he said, they're looking to balance their life out because they're in Bali too and part of that is how do you stay healthy and longevity and so you know it's intriguing what you're talking about with this 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 knowledge creation this creative economy is not just creating an, a new understanding of of a balance in life but it's it's spreading people all around the world to places they would otherwise never dream of working from and one of those of course is bali now i'm now understanding and an entire business is getting creative from it so these these principles of money, health, knowledge, time, and relationships, if you really take them on board and put them into balance, I would imagine you could really empower yourself to be able to create things way outside the realm of I'm stuck in this city and I have to go to work.
2: <laughs> right, right, exactly. And how lackluster and uninspiring cannot be, right? So, yeah, right. so if you're sitting. Thinking- in Bali, you know, knowing that you're going to live, you know, for an eternity, that's that's very inspiring, you know, and, and that invigorates and it activates your your mind. And 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 that's the thing too. It's like with these interests, we see shifting the demand, right, within an economy. And of course, now we have the longevity market that's booming, which mm-hmm. is utterly fascinating. We're we're all so interested in optimizing health, you know, for the long term. And one thing that y- you both might find interesting in terms of a wealth of health you know going within that principle is is the the technological innovation such as the aura ring I don't know if either of you wear the aura ring yeah
1: I don't wear anything I've I've, seen I have no variables but I've heard about it yeah
2: Yeah. okay so but it's fascinating because here we have technological innovation right wrapped around our finger
1: yeah
2: and this this ring is literally providing visibility into the invisible right Mm. so and what we do with that quantitative data that we see in the sleek interface on our phone after you know when we wake up how many hours we slept you know what the quality is all that good stuff we use that quantitative data to then help shape our the the qualitative aspects of our life So we're thinking through, okay, I I noticed that when I do X, Y, and Z before bed, I tend to sleep better, which is more productive because I'm I'm more productive at work. So what we're doing is we're using the technological innovation to bring visibility to the invisible markers of health and using that quantitative data to then optimize the qualitative aspects of life to then use that energy or, or whatever you'd like to either, whether it be working Fine, spending time with family, fine, whatever the case may be, it's it's just fascinating how the power of invisible forces really reveal themselves in productive ways.
1: But so so let me ask you one thing, Jennifer. I think you also mentioned that it's the Bitcoin that inspired you to think about this, this nexus of technological advancements and social and, and social you know, shifts that you talk about. Ooh. Is is there a way to measure this money, health, knowledge time and relationship as you describe it? In terms of monetize, you know, wealth that can be monetized. That's question number one. Question number two: Are you trying to make an argument that suddenly now, again, I go back to the Web 3.0 context where I'm the creator of the data, whether it's Aura Ring that creates data and I should be monetize it. I should be able to monetize aspects of my time, whether it's in the time that I dedicate to it. Are you heading in that direction, or are you are you seeking for a well, more well balanced life. To say I need to have all of this, and this is collective wealth. So which is it's the uh, angle you're taking here.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's so you know after again over a decade in private wealth management, advising individuals and families, right? You you understand stories, yeah. you hear stories. Everyone's yeah. concept and relationship with wealth is vastly different, right? And so, gosh, there's so many directions, I could go with this. But if we think about wealth in the current narrative, if you will, wealth is synonymous with an abundance of money and, and material possessions, right? But that is kind of being shattered right now as we're reconceptualizing wealth and all these people are moving to, to Bali, focusing on longevity and you know tech innovation. Great. But so for me, these five principles and are areas in which we might over-index at a point in time in our life. And so at the end of the book, I developed a, what I call a personal wealth algorithm. And it's Got so it. n- use this algorithm to figure out which principle, right, which aspect of wealth takes primacy at this point in time. Derek can use that same algorithm and maybe come up with a different thing. Even if you come up with the same same focus, so say you both are focused on making money, investing money, Through the way the algorithm is structured, you'll understand why that is, though. And Nitten's reason might be different from Derek's reason, might be different from Mm -hmm. Jennifer's reason. So it's it's really an invitation to understand what your concept of wealth is within the present day framework of, of how we're valuing things in different ways. And so... That's why each principle sort of talks, does a deep dive into each concept. And then to fold this into the Web3 kind of creator economy, it's thinking through and highlighting ways in which people are making money in different ways, ways in which we're all becoming a bit more empowered, right? There's a bit more personal power on the concept of of sovereignty, right? Which are all emblematic of Bitcoin as well. So for me, Bitcoin is, is kind of this it embodies the technological innovation and societal shifts that are going on. What I mean by that is that, you know, blockchain technology is decentralized, right? Which you see manifesting in in different ways. Similarly, blockchain, Bitcoin rather, from a societal shift standpoint, really embodies these attributes of sovereignty, which we also see mirrored back to us in society. So for me, Bitcoin kind of embraces both sides of the proverbial coin of these two shifts that we see in motion, the technological and the societal. And so that's why, to me, I think it's so powerful. And people who talk about Bitcoin can get really technical, you know, and get like, super <laughs> yeah. oriented, or they're like way out on the, re- re- you know, reserves talking about philosophy. And both make sense because Bitcoin embodies all these, these attributes. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah.
1: And here I was thinking, Derek, that the Jen's going to take us down the path of tokenizing everything, in relationship, tokenizing time. And, and that would have been a fascinating conversation, but I'm glad you didn't go in that direction because everybody in this space is trying to tokenize everything, which is not the right thing to do, of course. But no, that's fascinating. Thanks for that. Jen. Well, Good and I
2: learned you. so much from, from the session last week when you talked about, you know, redefining assets, which I think yeah. is, is so interesting. So, I mean, from your perspective, how does... Redefining assets or tokenizing assets folds into the potential for the way that we're investing these days and creating wealth from that lens.
0: Well, we of course think it's going to change dramatically. So, from my uh, my view, first, Nitin, you go next. So, you know, certainly the way portal asset management runs things is is very traditional because the investors traditional, and so that's the way they want to invest. They want shares in a in a in a in a fund, et cetera, et cetera. But it's so obvious that the future is going to be a wallet that is filled with a cross section of smart contracts, which are, which are now shares in various companies all around the world, no longer siloed into exchanges. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're a share of physical assets in different countries. They're a share of, of, of utility tokens. They're a share of currencies. They happen to all be transactable on the grounds of a second, secondary marketplace. So that does two things. That empowers you and also provide you with responsibility to look after your future and how you want to do it by having all of these assets fractionated and available to you. I think it'll do a third thing, and as I keep saying this, it democratizes assets. And I'm not talking about socialism, communism, democ- I'm talking about the division of and the availability of assets to anybody, anywhere in the world at any time. And that I think fits perfectly in your theory of, of money, health, knowledge, you know, and experiences, you know? So that's my view, Nitin?
1: No, 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 I, I think you captured well. I think, Jen, just to interstate, I used the word, I'm not gonna repeat what we discussed last time, but the whole idea is how do you define the asset? And again, you have, the way I viewed the world is, you have the traditional assets, and at some point there's a convergence of, well, because there's a value that's accumulated over time. And that's over centuries and over generations, so we're at a point now that we begin to value a few things. And it has value too, only because of the generational wealth that's been passed around and what we value today's world. But there's a new emergence of the fifth asset class, which is all the things that you described, right? I use the word exponential finance. And with tokenization of everything around us, the data that come from the aura ring that you mentioned, it's mine. I can monetize it anywhere I like it. And I can use that time, energy, resources for things that I can make investment back into my life, whether I give back myself more time or invest in relationship because of the outcome of that extreme financialization of, of, or hyper-financialization of societies around us. Now, one thing I've always debated in this world is as, again, love to get your perspective because you have written extensively about this. You've seen the relationship of wealth in the conversation with hundreds of your clients. Is, Is that necessarily a good thing as we hyper-financialize everything, because there's an implication of the fact that you're creating a token, whether it's your data, whether it's your time, whether it's your art, it has a monetizable value. And it has fungibility in some cases, and all the three properties of currency that you have iterated, it possesses those elements. But even if they are digital and we are trying to connect to a digital economy or digital like-minded people around the world, but creating an exponential financial system, is that necessarily a good thing? Because now we are constantly dealing with trading of these sort of encapsulated time form of a token with NFTs, which may be encapsulation of talent in the form of art. I question that. I don't have the answer to that piece where today, I'm, you know, two people meet from different parts of the world, they exchange perspectives, and that enriches your mind. Do I necessarily want to monetize it? And I don't know the answer to that. I'd love to get your thoughts on that, Jennifer.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a great question. It's definitely abstract. I'd say to distill it down to, you know, a very, very simple perspective is I would, where my mind goes is that there has to be a market for for things, right? And so if there's a market for it, great. If there's not, well, then probably doesn't work. <laughs> so. <laughs> But what's fascinating is that you you have this, this new asset class coming online, right? Digital or cryptocurrency or digital assets, however you phrase it. But what's also interesting is that we're diversifying our income streams, right? So through the creator economy, whether owning our data, X, Y, Z, just the same as why we diversify our assets. So we're diversifying how we make money, just the same as we are diversifying how we're investing money, which I think is is productive and creates a the infrastructure for more anti-fragility, for people to kind of take responsibility. You know, Derek, getting back to your point of, of our, our lives, right, and our monetary kind of standing. So,
0: And it's interesting, Neaton, You know, your statement saying, I'm not sure if I could monetize that, you know, I'm not sure if I could monetize my experiences and my friendships and the people I know and my hobbies and everything. Well, the fact of the matter is that's our life and our life in itself then creates you as a person and the demand for you as a person ends up being part of your monetization. I'm not saying that in a cynical or cold fashion. I'm saying it just in that's how we are. You know, we're in demand for what we are or what we are not, maybe. And and so I think all of these experiences are ultimately manifested in themselves and therefore can be monetized. And I'm not talking about a ruthless methodology. I'm just simply turning around and saying, That's the person you are and and uh, you know, that's why they keep asking you to go around and talk at places, Nit. And I think that's yeah, what it no, 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 absolutely. I'm not sure what else <laughs> it is. So I think that that <laughs> must be. yeah but the thing is (laughs)
1: like you know the the ability to invest in so we always have i've you know jennifer i've always looked into non-bankable assets and the term non-bankable comes in the way where you suddenly don't have a risk model or valuation model for a specific asset so for example a bright student in tunisia may want to raise funds for his education and you make that investment in the education and you have rights to certain of their you know of their earnings which is what basketball players have done in the past in in Mm -hmm. three world and I think that gives potential for non-banking entities to look into investing in talent and investing in people, investing in art. I find that a positive thing, that we don't have to simply rely upon banks and banks may not have the model in Tunisia, but they may have model in the US, which has led to a different kind of crisis, as we all know, in terms of student loans. And the whole idea there is you have a global marketplace. And to Jennifer, to your point, you're appealing to that marketplace.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: but bring, let me bring it home. What is your you know, as you're writing this book and as you, how do you see the world according to all the principles that you define in your book to evolve the next decade or so? How do you see this? Let, let's say if everything that you've written about comes true, help us shape that 10-year journey, the 10 years from now, if everything comes true to what you have envisioned and what mm-hmm. you've documented in this in this narration, what will the world yeah. look like?
2: So so just from a from a broad stroke perspective, it's my hope that people pursue their interests, their passions, their potentials and optimize that, whatever mm. that looks like, versus kind of going to the mold, if you will. And so I think that we're we're getting so much option, so many options to do so by virtue of what's coming online, whether it be the creator economy, how we're able to invest money and in, you know in, in portal asset management, right? And, and to make returns in, in ways that mm. otherwise weren't available. 10, 20 years ago. And so I think that the future is is really productive and abundant. And I think it's up to the individual to decide how to wield that power. Yeah. All right. Look,
0: this is really inspiring. Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. I'm going to buy your book. So there's no question about that. So that's both of us are buying the book. So we're going to create a link at the bottom of, of, our, of our videos and podcasts, et cetera. But for those that can't see the link, if they're just listening to the podcast, it's called Invisible Wealth. Five principles of redefining personal wealth in the new paradigm it's available on amazon i've noticed because that's my search it's available on amazon it's in a hard copy form at the moment for 29.95 so so certainly order that pre-order that get involved with that i really think it's an extraordinary topic because this is the empowerment of what mankind the thinking man and i mean that as man or woman can can create and and that's That's super powerful. Now, I think we should tokenize you, Jennifer. I I don't agree with Nick. I think we should have the Jennifer (laughs) NFT. And from that, we can join your club and we can see what else you're creating and thinking. So we may find ourselves living up in orbit in the mountains of, of, of Bali, operating whatever business we're doing from there. But for now, thank you so much. And we look forward to following you and we hope to have you on the show again sometime.
1: Yeah, and Jennifer, I, I echo that. Thank you for your time and sharing perspectives. And I don't want tokenizing you, but I'll like tokenize your last name, which is Wines, and that, <laughs> that that will have its own marketplace, you know, as we know. But thanks again, and looking forward to reading your book.
2: Excellent. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Ninn. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive and engaged. See you next